Hello friends, welcome to a very special episode of Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap show brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Devlin. I'm Aaron. I'm Dave. Dave is our producer who is joining us as a guest star for this episode. Uh, is this your favorite episode? Oh, this is my favorite episode. <laughs> but, two seasons so far. That's uh, great. Yeah. So um, regular listeners to the show know that we start out with just a little bit of small talk. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately? Uh, I've been working on this show. Yeah, I guess I guess you've really been spending all of your time on this, which we appreciate. Um, we do, we do. Uh, but it, besides that, um, I'm not really doing a whole lot these days. Uh, I started cooking again for myself. That's cool. That's I should cool. I should probably do that too. I've, I've got a bad habit going on right now. The uh, the other thing we do is uh, have a song pick. Do you have one of those? Uh, yeah, it's actually pretty sure it's from this episode. It is uh, Guan by the Suffers. Let me pitch it. So here we are, we're in um, episode six of season two, Master Slave. And I gotta say, as a child of the 80s, I love that they set this up basically as a whimsical 80s sitcom parody. I really like how it just kind of dives right into it with no real kind of um, introduction. Like, I had no idea what was going on when this episode started. Yeah, I didn't either. And I think that was my favorite part about it was like <laughs> the entire, like, the screen went from, you know, 16 by 9 all the way to 4 by 3. Like, well, they, they even... They filmed it as though it was an 80s show. Oh, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Um, it's pretty cool. And the thing is, like, even the little details in it, like, there's a saxophone in the soundtrack. Like, that was actually banned after 1989. <laughs> like, it's so perfectly 80s. And they are on an Alderson family road trip, which sounds horrific, i got to be honest with you. Um, Elliot is aware of everything, so he's really confused that he can hear the laugh track. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty confusing. Um... It's also, it's super 80s in that a lot of the humor is that the husband and wife hate each other. Like, it's very, like, take my wife, please. Like, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's pretty obvious also that there's someone in the trunk. I wonder who that could be. I wonder who that could be. <laughs> I don't know, a certain ex-villain, maybe? Mm, someone who was missing? Perhaps, perhaps. Um, we also catch a glimpse of some pretty important stuff. Darlene is spending most of her time in the backseat on a Game Boy. What's going on in the Game Boy? I think uh, I think Elliot's getting his ass kicked on the, <laughs> on the screen there. Yeah, I guess he's kind of um, dissociated himself from what's going on in reality, but through the Game Boy screen, he's able to kind of get a window into what's actually going on. And we do get a glimpse of some of that beating also in the rearview mirrors. And I think what I like about this, because this episode seems kind of frivolous, is I think this is an illustration really of how dissociation can protect us from terrible things that we experience. So Elliot's dissociation helping him kind of, because his whole family tells him, his whole family tells him just to keep his eyes straight ahead on the road and off of the terrible thing that's happening to him, which from the last episode we are well aware of. So do you think uh, in those opening scenes he's actually being beaten and that's what he's seeing? Or do you think this is post getting beaten? 
I think it's meant to be simultaneous to the beating. I think it's actually after. Because, oh, do you think so? Well, it has to be after because um, we find out that he's imagining Alf because Alf is on the TV. So he's already... Right, right. So, Not to cut ahead too far. So maybe let's walk through a little bit. Um, we do find out um, at one point that Ty Tyrell hops out of the trunk. <laughs> yeah, he makes his way out of there. Uh, yelling, I'm a very important businessman. Help me, help me. I, I really thought that the actor did a good job um, like doing a bit of comedy because I don't think that he's had anything remotely funny to say so far in the series and this is the first we've seen it out of him. Well, and it's true that none of them really have a lot of comedic opportunities in the series. So it's kind of nice. Like Angela is the manager at the, at the E-Mart, at the convenience store, at the gas station they yeah. stop at. Um, there's the mom is always like a clear villain like the mom maces her and they rob <laughs> the store like the whole family i wondered if that was um like one of the traditional road trip activities they have well remember back to when um mr Rollout first meets elliot and he says my dad was a thief oh wow that really uh, brings it all together then doesn't it all right oh, so that's, that's a good catch <laughs> so them knocking over the convenience store it's maybe not so out of character for yeah. actual childhood vacations right <laughs> There was um there's something Angela said though when when Elliot like because Elliot like kind of confronts her of like what are you doing and she she makes the the joke about how she became the assistant manager of yeah. how like she like started at the bottom and worked her way up kind of like what she did at Ecorp yeah. uh, right so there's just like and he's kind of like in disbelief like I think that's the way he looks at her in her like actual life as like just some crony for some corporation that is kind of the path that she's going down. Well, totally. And then at the end, she says something like, God, guess it makes up for them killing my mom. <laughs> the humor is very dark. I wondered if um, dark humor was more characteristic of 80s shows. Like, not this dark, but do you remember any kind of jokes like that? I think it was the opposite, where I think there was less liberty to have dark humor in the mm -hmm. 80s. Like, I think it was very scripty and very formulaic and relied on a happy outcome, especially <laughs> for family-oriented sitcoms. So I think this is a real subversion of that motif. And that's, that's cool, actually. So I guess it's kind of like an interesting juxtaposition of having like the 80s presentation with very anti-80s content. Totally. And that's where, so we talked about Alf. Alf's also in the convenience store. Yep. Um, and then a few minutes later, he, the Aldersons, they have a flat tire. They're broken down. They come up. Well, someone comes upon them, right? Uh, the cop? The cop. Who's the cop? Who's the cop? Gideon's the cop. Oh, Gideon's the cop. Yeah, I didn't write that down. <laughs> <laughs> and just as he's... So Gideon's... Oh, right, yeah. Has anyone seen a family of outlaws on the run from the law? And then Alf speeds by in this little red roadster and, like, runs him down, like, leaves him dead in the street and makes, like, a characteristic Alf kind of, like, uh -huh, and, like, uh, drives away. I was wondering if they had to pay some huge amount of money to license Alf's likeness for this show. I thought that. I've also been trying to shoehorn in a joke about Alf being back in pog form, but it never came up, so I'm just going to do that right now. When Alf drives up in pog form, <laughs> they also use the, the classic Alf tagline was, Ha! I kill me! And so, I guess it's a little more literal in this case. It, it truly is. Um, I find, too, there are nice little touches in here. There's an E-Corp ad that plays in the middle of sitcom, really nicely done. Um, after Alf kills the cop, um, we have Tyrell's attempted escape. 
this is all getting very intense for Elliot, and he he is talking to Mr. Robot, who's trying to calm him down. This is actually a really nice fatherly kind of moment for Mr. Robot. I think this is a moment where Elliot is kind of realizing that um, maybe Mr. Robot does have some like benefits that he can offer him. One thing that's interesting here is Mr. Robot says something like, believing it makes it so, which I think was on Angela's affirmations earlier, oh, yeah. are very oh, similar, yeah. um, and that lies can be useful. And I think this, again, is him alluding to, like, he's trying to help in this situation instead of be a destructive force, which he so often is. I have, um, actually, I'm going to jump back to, to when Gideon was killed. Yeah. So I do have a note about it. Using Alf to kill him kind of... Uh, kind of exposes like how innocent Gideon was when he was actually murdered. Gideon's story is right? so sad. He deserved so much better. Right? And so like using somebody like fun and lovable like Alf kind of downplays the, the just the idea that he was just like murdered. Like kind of in cold blood. Like just absolutely in cold blood. Yeah. Um and so I just like I just wrote like uh use of Elf was innocent. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're right, and also because he is killed by a stranger out of nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having done nothing at all to earn it. So we get to relive that kind of sad death of Gideon. Yeah. Well, I think that you're making really good points here about how the, um, I guess you could call them hallucinations that he's experiencing, they kind of um, parallel his real-world feelings to Angela and to Gideon, and it's kind of a way for him to unpack those things. Yeah, in a safe way that doesn't disrupt his sense of self and maybe protect him from some additional pain. Uh, yeah, because he's dealing with a, a lot of pain right now. I think at this point he, he wakes up from his coma, he notices that he's um, been imagining Elf because his sitcom has been playing on TV. So that kind of explains the entire uh, opening of the scene. Right, and when you say Elf's been playing on the TV, that's in the hospital. Yes, that's worth mentioning. Was the show actually called Elf? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, Elf eats cats. Further to our uh, mentioning that we are recording this are you podcast. Serious? I thought you said there wasn't any dark humor in the 80s. Well, you know, I don't know why you peg that as dark. He's always, he's an alien who comes to live with a family. You watched yeah. Alf, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he, yeah, he does eat cats. He's <laughs> always trying to eat the household cat, and it's a big joke that, like, that he can't eat the cat. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like, well, like, the thing about the, the dark humor in, like, 80s sitcoms, it's like, it's, I think it's darker now than when it was on the air. Like, I like to think of things like um, uh, Married with Children. Like, Archie Bunker was like an abusive, aggressive man <laughs> who constantly berated his wife. But it was funny. Yeah. It was like... like at the time, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it didn't seem... I guess at the time it didn't seem dark? Yeah. Maybe? So like, now that we're like looking back on it, I'm like, oh, man, Archie Bunker was fucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, this was entertainment? What were we thinking? And maybe that's the way people will look back at this show and just be like, because this show is so dark, and just be like, people thought this was entertainment? What's going on here? <laughs> so another really important thing about um, the episode of Elf that they show, though, I don't remember what they're voting on, but um, Elf votes on something. It doesn't go his way. And after that, he, sorry, he exclaims that uh, democracy is dead. So I think that is intended to uh, kind of play into the hack that's going on. That's nice. terrific catch. I didn't catch that. And so we're really shifting really quickly away from the lighthearted portion of this show because when he wakes up in the hospital, he's badly beaten, like really badly beaten. And the room is dark. It doesn't look like any hospital I've ever seen. It's pretty grim. It's practically a dungeon. Yeah, actually, it does look like that. And Ray is there. 
Yeah, there's um, a bit of a narration here talking about masters and slaves, which is a concept that's used in, uh, well, in, in many things, and also in computer science. Basically, if you have like um, a databases, for example, often you have one that's kind of the central primary store and then others that are copies of it that you can read from as well. So those are the masters and slaves. They're kind of trying to move away from that terminology, though, in favor of um, primary and replica, so it's a little less loaded, though. I like that. I think that vocabulary shift could be important. The analogy here that Ray uses is, remember his good old dog, Maxine? So Maxine has died. Um, he says that he doesn't think it was really the illness that killed her. It was that, you know, during the course of that, she was totally dependent on him and it was the first time she'd ever realized that she was only allowed to live of course this is a message to Elliot basically by the good graces of someone else but he thinks that's what did her in so of course this is a sign to Elliot that he's dependent on Ray's goodwill at this point Ray leaves him to rest and he says there are big days ahead and we've got work to do All right, so let's take a look inside F Society headquarters. Yeah, um, unlike in the previous episode, this one kind of has uh, longer scenes. There aren't so many cuts between different characters' storylines. Right now, we see um, Darlene and Trenton trying to teach Angela how to hack at the F Society HQ. I like that Mobley's kind of in charge of that because I think he's probably the most patient one of all of them. So <laughs> it's not looking great. Yeah. So it, yeah, now I remember it's. So there's a, another reference to an 80s movie in this scene. Uh, Mobley says wax on, wax off <laughs> to Angela because he's willing to just keep going through uh, these commands over and over and over again, which is just like in the scene, or in Karate Kid, the whole first part of the movie is Mr. Miyagi teaching Daniel-san how to do things by doing repetitive tasks over and over and over again that seem to have no real value but then when they're put into the context of like when Daniel goes to the karate competition, the context is like there for him. He understands why he was like told to like wax on and wax off the <laughs> car. Because he starts using it in the oh. fights. So yeah, she's gonna start she's gonna see the use of the repetition when she gets into that environment. Man, that's a great reference. And I bet that Mobley is the kind of person who's seen that movie a few times. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that they're right there, that um it's kind of a, a tall order to expect somebody to be able to hack the FBI when they've only just been introduced to this technology uh, very recently. But because the FBI is planning to vacate the E-Corp office, they only have one more day to pull off this attack. And so they hatch a plot. There are a couple specific types of technology they use in this plot. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about um, how a rubber ducky works. Well, the first thing I'd like to explain is their um, to self strategy. Right. Because the rubber ducky is um, kind of like their fallback option. So with the femtocell, we've seen Elliot use one of these before to pull off um, one of his attacks. And it basically allows you to create um, a, a cell power or a Wi-Fi network or something like that. I actually am not 100% sure if their usage of the device is technically accurate in this scene. But basically all they're doing is connecting the device to, um, to, the, to the network with an Ethernet cable and then exposing it over a wireless network so Angela, sorry, so, so Darlene can download it and exfiltrate all that data from the network. Um, to continue this monologue uh, into the rubber <laughs> ducky though, uh, it's a very uh, ingenious device if I might say so. You can buy it yourself um, from a company called Hack5 and it's like a little USB key that you can um, 
scripts to run certain commands when you plug it into a computer. And the way it does that is that it um, pretends to be a keyboard. So as soon as you plug it in, it basically automatically presses all kinds of keys and tries to do whatever your script is to do. And because it's just like a keyboard to so the operating system, there isn't really any way to prevent uh, an attack like that. They also look to something called um, um, a Mimikatz or Mimikatz. Is there anything that, that that's important about that? <laughs> uh, I had to Google that actually because I'm not so up to date on my Windows software. But it seems like it's just a way to extract passwords from memory. So it basically will let them make sure that um, if they're downloading any encrypted data, they're also getting the passwords necessary to actually view it. So this scene, for a, a sort of short condensed scene, there's certainly a lot of technical um, information in it about how they plan to carry out this next phase. I think the overall mood I take from it though is nobody's terribly confident that Angela is actually going to be able to do this after only trying to learn how to hack in one day. Uh, so next scene, we see Cisco uh, in the library picking up the Fendacell from the Dark Army itself. Um, yeah, he's very fluent in, I think, his Mandarin? Yeah, it's cool to see him actually speak it, because so far we've only seen him type it over IRC. Yeah, it's interesting because it obviously shows that, you know, he's deeply infiltrated this culture and really is a working part of this group. I noticed that um, Cisco still refers to White Rose as male which is obvious because they haven't actually met White Rose, but it just was interesting to be reminded of the fact that these characters don't really know the whole story. Exactly, and that, like the viewers, um, you know, we all assumed White Rose was going to be a man when we finally found out who they were. This takes um, a, sort of, a sort of lousy turn for Cisco. Yeah, uh, I think that he asks a little too many questions. And that's, I was like, do you want to talk about what happens oh, next? Yeah, so um, a bunch of dudes in masks come out. Grab Cisco, hold him down. Uh, he's pleading. He's yelling. He's oh no, I don't. I, I, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, they grab a needle. They grab his hand. Uh, oh. They shove the needle under the fingernail of his index finger, all the way in, and then just snap it off. I had to look away for that scene. It was so cringeworthy. It's brutal. It's I. I love the special effects in this show. Like there are so many scenes where it's just like that. Maybe it, <laughs> maybe it actually was real. <laughs> if I hadn't looked away, I might know more. That's <laughs> some uh, dedication to your craft. <laughs> yeah. Very, very quick scene, though. Basically, Cisco picks up the Fentacel and briefly gets tortured. So let's flip over to Dom's storyline for a moment. So she is with her FBI superior. They want her to take four weeks of psych leave after witnessing the what they're characterizing as a terror attack at the hotel in China. And I guess some time off would be would be deserved if you'd experienced something like that. But she's not really interested in that. Yeah, I don't. I think there's another motive behind uh, asking her to take the psych leave. Uh, I personally think four weeks is too long. I think it has to do with the way uh, she asked about the Dark Army when they were in China. I think that she kind of like um, overstepped her boundaries there. Maybe she upset a few people. Do so you think they're just trying to get her out of the way for a little bit so they can wrap up this investigation? I think that's exactly what they're trying to do. Is like I think she would cause them more problems, like or they're in cahoots. Yeah, <laughs> I would not put it past the show to do that. 
So I guess we're just kind of um, closing off a few character storylines before we get into a, a lengthier one near the end of this episode. There's another fairly short scene with uh, Philip Price talking on the phone. And he's advocating for a bailout for E-Corp. He's got a good quote here. Uh, enough passion and people will buy into anything. Another quote that I liked from him was, uh, don't shit a shitter, I think he says. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a lot of good lines, very eloquent. Uh, they're desperately trying to reach uh, Minister Jean. Uh, they can't. And he's trying to leave, but of course, there are always protesters who surrounded the E-Corp building. He's able to just um, command the police to go break up the protesters, though. So I kind of thought it good just to show that he kind of has them in his pocket. So uh, we're going to jump over to a scene where Dom is uh, in her favorite bodega uh, talking to Ahmed. Uh, and he, he expresses how innocent individual people were affected by this hack because he's slowly going out of business. Um, and I thought that was just interesting to see that like uh, we spent so much time in this show watching, you know, F Society and then like these big evil businessmen, right? But there are all these individuals, like these regular innocent people who are affected by, by this hack. I guess collateral damage. Exactly, that's what it is, these kind of unintentional victims who are also suffering. Um, one thing that's interesting here is, you know, as we're recording this episode, there are developers who are trying to launch an app that would theoretically replace bodegas <laughs> and their role in people's lives in the community. And people fucking hate it. It just makes me think, like, who who wants that product? What problem is that solving? It's not like there are people out there who are so pissed off that they want to disrupt that horrible mom-and-pop shop business. God, it's so terrible to occasionally have to speak to an actual human being. Okay, I mean, sometimes it is, I guess <laughs> that. But, um, but interesting that um, technology does, of course, affect very real people that, you know, this character Ahmed represents. Um, even in our own present time, and even in the absence of this hack. For any of you who are not aware of this Bodega app, I don't know if it's an app, this Bodega product, it actually is called Bodega, so you can Google it. It's like a giant vending machine. That is what it is, actually. Yeah. That, that is all it is. <laughs> I, it's yeah. like that $700 juicer. Yeah, I wanna, like, I've always wanted to go to like one of those New York bodegas, uh, mainly because like, I watch a lot of First We Feast on YouTube, channel by what the is way. that uh first we feast they do hot ones the wing eating <laughs> i have no idea what that Wait, is no idea what you're okay. talking about <laughs> okay small discourse uh there's a show where this guy eats hot chicken wings with celebrities and interviews them and wow. each chicken wing is successively hotter than the last that sounds great we should do that on this show oh uh, it's one of my favorite youtube <laughs> shows of all time uh but they also do like small documentaries and they did one on this thing called the chopped cheese which is this new york sandwich which is basically like a burger sub Wow. And like, they did a 15 minute little thing on it, and I was like, you can only usually get them from bodegas. Like, they came from bodegas because they cook food there, which is like, yeah. Um, kind of like what the uh, the big bees here in Hamilton are slowly turning into. Like, you can buy like subs and stuff now there, and they're like, they they're make good. them behind the counter. And <laughs> I'm like, that's kind of cool. Like, I won't eat one, but that's kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> they do a good job in these little scenes showing Dom's humanity. So when Ahmed says that the store is closing, she says, she orders a turkey sandwich, which is her favorite, you know, kind of out of pity and kind of for old time's sake. Um, but I just want to know, in a time of shortages and low inventory, why does she think he's going to have Munster cheese? 
Also, what is Munster cheese? Can you explain that? I don't. It's a kind of cheese I just never had. Like I, I, I just can't imagine it's popular. I always thought she was saying extra cheese. No, no, Munster cheese. Is it like a type of cheese? It's like a, a kind of cheese. Okay. Like yeah. a brie or something? Yeah. Okay. Like you want cheddar or Munster, obviously a very common menu option in uh, Dom's <laughs> Neck of the Woods. So, um, Do you so, think that you can make like a recipe out of it called a Munster mash? Yes. Cheesy it'll be, mashed potatoes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to go like queso dip, but that's probably a better way to go. So anyway, some nice human moments for Dom and Ahmed and the collateral damage of the 5-9 hack here. So back at F Society, we have a sort of awkward moment because obviously folks are there preparing for the hack that's about to happen. And when Cisco comes in, I mean, Angela immediately recognizes him, right? Yeah, up until this point, Angela, I think, had met every other member of F Society, but not Cisco. And they have a connection that um, she doesn't have with some other, some other members of F Society because he was the one who had given her that CD that kind of set everything into motion. So nobody knows that they know each other at this point, actually, and she denies it, so it remains a secret. She does make it, I think, body language-wise, fairly obvious that something is up, so it looks uncomfortable, even though she doesn't go as far as to say, oh, hey, you gave me the CD that put all these things in motion, and maybe you played me too. Well, the next scene we come into, uh we see Darlene coming out of the subway, and my notes just say, Funk Central, real heist time. <laughs> I love this song. And actually, I love this scene. This, I think I've said it before, but this episode is my favorite in the series so far. This scene is my favorite in the episode. I really have some great things to say about this. So Darlene really shows her skills here. I think that, like Elliot, she kind of has some um, social engineering expertise, and she's able to play the hotel staff to get increasing levels of access to the building. And um, in addition to her social engineering skills, she also uses an attack kind of like the one that they had used to um, clone the key card to get into Steel Mountain, kind of like a physical replay attack. And what they do here is actually super cool because it's um, a real tool called uh, a mag spoof. And I'm not sure if it was developed for this purpose or if it was developed um, like in coordination with this famous hacker named um, Sammy Notable for making the fastest spreading uh, MySpace swarm ever. So they consulted with um, a very notable member of the security community to come up with this device that they used to evade the keycard system. So now let's take this over to the second uh, location for this hack. So this is the 23rd floor of E-Corp where the FBI is set up. Angela has made her way up there. This is actually a cute aside, but to initiate this, Darlene calls her and it just shows on her phone as Marble Cake. What would your alias be? Oh, Jiffy Pop. Nice. Dave? You're just like looking Stick around. With <laughs> Stick with food, it helps. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that that was Arizona iced tea. Oh, good choice. Man, there's a cat that's like rubbing against my face right now. <laughs> like that cat wants to live in your beard. It seems like it. Your alias will be Cat Beard. Good. I knew there. Were, I knew there would be a cat cameo in one of these episodes. Probably a ton of noise. Oh. So, um, oh, you just stop. <laughs> it's claws ready. Come on. Oh, baby. <laughs> so, um. And getting back to the story, uh, Angela is intercepted by, I'm going to call him Agent Dude Bro. <laughs> Agent uh, Chad? Yeah, <laughs> Agent Chad. Um, they're synonyms. Um, 
and he he sees her coming out of the washroom and I was trying to come up with a word that captures what it would mean to both hit on someone and threaten someone at the same time because he seems to be doing both to her. Yeah, it's kind of dog whistly maybe. It's I don't know if that's the right word for it. Yeah, because it's really it's under the wire, but it's a really uncomfortable, sketchy situation, and she needs to play along with him because obviously she needs to be on this floor for about two more minutes, and she can't have him digging any deeper into what she's up to. I think that she's uh, learned a lot from Darlene and Elliot, though, because she really is able to manipulate and play this guy. I think she does it pretty effectively. One thing I think is so interesting is there's so much of this series where the music and the score especially is very tense and very dark and it's all very peaceful during this hack. And Dave, this is kind of your area of expertise. Do you want to talk a bit about the sound in this episode? Yeah, I have you know, a handful of notes here about just the, um, the audio production in this, the whole series, but this episode specifically, the scene where uh, Angela's talking to uh, Agent Dude Bro Chad, uh, they actually used the audio from the cameras themselves to get the atmosphere of what they're filming. It's the only time I've seen it in the show so far. What do you mean by that? Um, so normally when you, uh, you film, you have boom mics that hang up, like, out, of, out of frame, uh, and those will usually be directed at specific people or groups of people. Uh, so that your audio comes from just them and not really the sounds around you, like the ambience around you. Uh, every camera is also equipped with a, a like an internal microphone, though, just in case you know you're poor, and don't have <laughs> audio equipment to, to do this stuff. And they actually use that audio, um, and you can hear it. So they have the boom mic, which picks up their their dialogue really well, and then underneath it is just the camera audio. Wow! And it, it grabs the whole atmosphere of the room because it it was definitely filmed in a big office space. Like, it was not a stage. Like, that was a real office they filmed it in. Um, I can't believe you're so perceptive. Another thing I noticed... Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> not to let that comment go away. Uh, actually, I'm going to throw it back to the scene in F Society HQ. Just such a slow, subtle, like, click-clack of, like, controllers and, and keyboards to show... To also bring up the atmosphere that, like, oh, people are doing stuff here. Like, people are hacking here. <laughs> um... So I wasn't wrong when I brought up the bees thing. Oh, not at all. I actually put bees into our first episode. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so they, they do that a lot in this episode specifically because of how tense it is. Uh, they use a lot of kind of anxiety-inducing uh, sound effects um, and then just also great, great choreography between the actors and how, which, you know, can also deal with editing. But still, it's just the way they move, the way they talk to each other. Yeah, it was uh, really well done. So this whole scene is very nicely done, but there's a complication because they lose the Wi-Fi connection. And so there is there is a part two coming to this. Uh, yeah, th there's not really very much to say about that because all she has to do is um, run to a terminal and um, execute a few commands that will bring back up uh, the Wi-Fi subsystem. So the difficulty is in actually getting to the terminal and being able to do this privately. And then, of course, when she does get to a terminal and begins to put it all back into place, she's interrupted by our favorite FBI agent. Dom. And this is, the, I think, their first interaction, so big stuff coming up. So in this scene, we see Elliot uh, in the hospital bed, but for probably like half a second as the hired goons roll in and just grab him and take him out. Hired goons. <laughs> They're basically just throwing him in, well, 
I, I explained that the hospital he was in looked like a dungeon earlier, but this is like an actual dungeon. It really looks like a dungeon. It's like a dark, dreary basement. Part of me was like, is this the basement where Maxine died, the dog? And that's the parallel. Oh, wow. Um, it's really sad. They leave him alone in the basement. He's just whimpering on the floor. It's terrible. Um, Mr. Robot is there. And this is the first time I've seen him be really conciliatory because Mr. Robot says, you know, I'm sorry, I was trying to take the beating for you. They do have a, there is a nice reconciliation moment here. Remember that Mr. Robot and Elliot have been fighting for total control of Elliot Collective, right? So there is a nice reconciliation when after Mr. Robot says that to Elliot, well, what does Elliot do? He hugs him, which is obviously a very big move for him. That dude is not very into touching. So right after that, the way we close out the episode is we get a flashback to young Elliot and Mr. Robot. They're driving in the car. Elliot has a black eye. He's being bullied at school. Mr. Robot says sometimes it's important for us to talk about the things that hurt us. And that's when he levels some pretty serious shit at this kid, actually. He tells him that secrets about his cancer. So he tells him he's lost his job. He tells him about his illness. And one thing that uh, is very prescient here is he says, well, whatever happens, I'm never going to leave you. This is also the origin of the Mr. Robot name, right? Right. So the one consolation that he gives. Oh, yeah. So he, um, he buys a storefront and opens a computer. It's just like computer sales and repair, I guess. Um, and names it Mr. Robot. Elliot also gets a job there. And he's very excited about it. I guess this is where the, the seed is planted for Elliot. This is also the only nice parenting moment in, I think, the whole series. So it's, uh, it's very touching to see it. And it's a nice way to close off the episode. Thank you for listening to Mr. Rewatch. This episode was recorded at my place in downtown Hamilton. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd encourage you to consider contributing to the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They are defending freedom in the internet age. You can find information about how to donate at EFF.org. I'm Devlin. I'm Aaron. And I'm Dave. Bonsoir.